Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. I mean, you're absolutely right about like coming together. He and I, like Paul and I definitely have a different story. You know, like he'll say that he made a move on me. I have, I do not recall that move at all. <laughs> Never. Memorable. Memorable. Yeah. Um, but I do remember we were... It was like the spring of our first year um, and it was just, it was a break just, before, you know, like the last night going on in spring break. And, you know, as you know, you're all, you're all on top of each other in drama school um, and there's no such thing as personal space. And I think I was sitting on his lap at one point in time and there was just something where I was just like, oh, I really fancy him. Oh my goodness. What am I going to do? <laughs> <laughs> and me being me, I think I went home and like talked to a roommate or something. And then was like, I'm going to call him. I'm going to tell him. And my roommate was like, no, don't do it. Um, and I did. And I scared the bejesus out of you. <laughs> I'm Srini Rao. And this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. Doing creative work can be kind of lonely, and that's why we built the Unmistakable Listener Tribe. The tribe is a community for professionals to connect and support each other. Everything is designed to help you grow your business and share what's working and what isn't. And that's true whether you're a business owner or an artist. You'll get access to feedback, live conversations with guests, and so much more. By joining the tribe, you become part of a community of creators who all support each other, and it's completely free. Hopefully, I'll see you there. Visit unmistakablecreative.com slash tribe to join. Again, that's unmistakablecreative.com slash tribe. Paul and Anna, welcome to the Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Thank you for having us. Yeah, our pleasure. Yeah, it is my pleasure to have you here. So I found out about your work uh, because you wrote in. And when I found out that you guys do a ton of work in theater, and particularly in improv, I knew I wanted to talk to you because I just felt that uh, in the improv, there's so many lessons that we can learn for communication, not just in life, but also in performance and writing and in all sorts of creative work. But as you know, from having another show, we're not going to start there. Uh, I want to start <laughs> asking you, what did both of your parents do for a living? How did that end up impacting the choices that you've both ended up making? Uh, with your life and work, and what was the advice they gave you about making your way in the world? Um, well, yeah, my 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 folks um, basically they met working in a bank, um, 
and as very young people, and they stayed in the bank their whole careers. Um, and so theirs is kind of, in many ways, the the opposite of of what I ended up doing, you know. Um, and it's it's funny because uh, I think that they're both quite really really creative people, actually. Like my dad, mm-hmm. now that he's retired, has become this has become this big part of a, a ukulele group that's even still going online at the moment and stuff. Um, but they, I think, went they 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 went a very secure kind of route. Um, uh, but I think for me that I tried a little bit of that. I think I initially like I went to my undergraduate was was law, and um, I thought you know I think I've probably seen too many John Grisham movies at the time. You know, <laughs> I, I had that idea of what lawyers are like. Um, but yeah, it was I, I think it was that courtroom drama that attracted me to it. But actually, that spark was always going to kind of affect me, and so I ended up um, I had done a play in in uh, last, my last year of high school and then started doing some more in, in university. Um, but it's funny that actually I think one of the huge things for me with my parents is how they always kind of kept a kind of a, had a kind of a gang around them of their kind of friends and people they took care of and stuff. And so even as I started to... Um, enter kind of uh, the idea of maybe acting and, and, and theater and things like that. I think always a big part of it's been um, having the right gang around you of people and creating a, a, a gang who are excited to, you know, bring a show together or, or bring a project together. And so it's never been, I've never been as excited about the idea of just being solo out in the world trying to make it happen, I think. Mm. And I think that's partially, I think that's a big thing that gave to me. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so for, for me, my dad is um, a preacher by by trade, um, and uh, my mother would be an administrator. So um, my dad is very creative. He had a, a Christian rock band when I was growing up. Um, and so being, you know, five or seven or 10 or 11, my goal was, of course, to make it into the band. Um you know, you'd write sketches and everything like that. So that definitely uh, was a part, you know, creative expression was something that I saw from a very young age. And I uh, would go on stage even when I was like five or six to sing solos or whatever. It was always kind of a part of of me and what I did. <laughs> um, and then, um, you know, but I think that similar to what Paul was saying is that, you know, because my dad at one point in time had a home church, you know, so we always had this like um, people gathering and people, you know, uh, taken together and kind of building community. And that is something that I've always, always loved and even was echoed in some of my theater experiences and university and that kind of thing. And I think that's really influenced me um, and influenced my life. I mean, my mother would definitely have been, of the, you know, wanting me to get a degree, wanting me to, um, you know, be safe and taken care of. And the creativity <laughs> kind of was um, scary and not, she didn't quite fully trust that it would take care of me um, uh, just because it's it was kind of out of her experience, you know, coming from, uh, you know, a family where her dad was like, you know, bus driver and they worked for the school and her mom, you know, taught and as a secretary, that kind of thing. So. Mm, yeah. 
So Anna, this is a question for you. With a father who was a preacher, did you have a very sort of strict, you know, Puritan religious upbringing? Uh, or did you have sort of the freedom that, uh, you know, I wouldn't think you'd have with somebody who was a father who was a preacher? Uh, what was that like? Yeah, that's a really great question because it was kind of a, an odd mix, right? <laughs> because, because yes, you know, he was a preacher, so there was definitely some moral and strict kind of codes in that respect. Um, but he was also like a child of the 70s, came out, you know, he did some wild things at that time. So he was kind of from a movement called like the Jesus people. Um, so, you know, so they would, they would, you know, have alcohol and stuff like that. Just not try not to have it to excess, that kind of thing. Um, so, uh, looking back, I think I internalized it as pretty strict. Um, Mm -hmm. just because, you know, as a kid, when you're like <laughs> hearing all of these, do not, do not, do not. And, and I have to be good. And, you know, you internalize it differently. I think that now as an adult looking back, um, yeah. I would see. Yeah. So, so yes and no. <laughs> um, so Paul, did you grow up in Ireland? I did. Yeah. Yeah. Dublin born. All right. So I wonder when it comes to you know narratives about careers, about success and, and particularly about creative careers, what is predominant in the, the culture in Ireland, because I know, uh, you know, you've probably heard me say on the show before as an Indian immigrant, much like both of your parents, security was definitely a high priority for my parents. But I understand now why, because of the context in which they were giving that advice, because they grew up in an environment where their life outcomes were binary. It was either mm. poverty or security, nothing in between. Mm. And I wonder what that's like in Ireland and, and how you find that to be different from sort of the narratives you've been exposed to from people in, in different parts of the world, particularly in the United States. Yeah, no, I think that I think that my folks are kind of fairly representative. I think most of my my friends would be the same way. I think the thing with Ireland is that we're it's it's now you know feels like a very first world country, but it's funny that like you know go back two generations and um, you know people had to leave the country you know to, to go have to emigrate to to, to uh, the states and, and the UK and stuff. Because there just wasn't work here, and there wasn't um, there wasn't opportunities. You know, the economy really only started to get going in the late twentieth century. In many ways, you know, before that, it really was way behind other countries, even in Europe. Um, and so, the recent kind of um, tech boom and things here has, has changed a lot of how people look at things. But definitely coming like from my parents' generation, um, and even even a lot of my friends that I grew up with, um, there is that definitely that urge for security is very. Is very present, I think, in Irish life. And I think partially it's because for a lot of Irish people, a lot of uh, people in Ireland, particularly previous generations, they worked to live. You know, they, mm-hmm. they wanted a job that then would enable them to have enough money to have their house, to have the various things they needed, and so then they could enjoy themselves for the rest of their lives. You know, their their hobbies and their and the, how they spend their evenings and their weekends and their social clubs and, and going away on, on holidays together. That was what the job was for, probably maybe for a lot of people more than, say, being their purpose or their real mm-hmm. drive for what they did in life. I think it was very much work was in service of that. Um, yeah. And I can see someone as a lot of my kind of um, my parents' friends who then took retirement, early retirement, they're now having the second lease of life where they're getting to explore all these things that they didn't have the time and space to do when they were, you know, working jobs, getting houses, raising families. But only probably when they're in their, you know, late 50s, early 60s, they're getting around to that. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Um, so I think, yeah, I think it's, it's, but it's also an interesting thing because there's this really strong creative spirit in Irish society, really strong storytelling spirit and musical and social spirit, which then kind of does get off any clash with that because you have people who, um, this is a real strong uh, strand of musicians, of writers, uh, of actors, you know, of people in those areas. But I think there's a lot of pushback against the idea of that as a career, against doing something like that. And, and the belief, you know, the belief that you can actually make a living doing something like yeah. that. Yeah, there's, there's not a lot of role models outside of the people that you probably know famously. <laughs> Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Selling a little? Or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this, you're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. 
It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time. And now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. <laughs> well, I, you know, I, I think there's there's definitely some grain of truth to that narrative, right? Because you're signing up for a life in which nothing is guaranteed and anything is possible, as I've said a thousand times before. And we had William Dershowitz here who talked about sort of the death of the artist. And mm-hmm. he said, yes, you know, now with the Internet, this opportunity to go out and do anything and make anything is available. He said, but it's also available to everybody, <laughs> uh, which changes you know the entire odds of, of your success. So, Paul, this is one more question for you. You had this moment when you realized you didn't want to be a lawyer. uh, And Mm -hmm. I've asked people this question in some form or another. I feel like so often people who are young don't actually recognize those moments for what they are. And it Mm -hmm. ends up being, you know, 40, 50 years later where people are, you know, lawyer, you know, partners at a law firm and discover that they hate their life. In fact, I don't know what it is, but I feel like of anybody I know, lawyers seem to hate their jobs more than anybody. Uh, <laughs> but that's a whole aside. The question is, you know, why don't you think we recognize that moment earlier in life? And, and more importantly, why don't we do anything about it? Because I can tell you, I don't think I had any interest in any of the things that I studied while I was in college. And it's mm. only now in retrospect that I look back and see that. Mm. Yeah, I think it's, I think there's a certain amount, I think, of that we get told a little bit about how the journey of our lives are supposed to go. You know, you get certain ideas in school and then moving into uh, college and then the jobs about the way, the, the kind of direction and the graph of how our lives are supposed to go. And I think sometimes we get these little blips of instinct or these little moments of, of synchronicity or where we kind of, these little discoveries, sometimes they, they, they are very exciting, but they also don't, feel like they fit on the graph that we have been pre-given. Um, mm-hmm. And particularly, yeah, they don't fit like in terms of career and money and those kind of ideas. And I think sometimes what we do is we explore them a bit. And as soon as we hit the first kind of like um, time when it kind of bites back or it doesn't work out the way we planned or it doesn't, um, it doesn't go well, I think then we tend, to, it's very easy to retreat then back into um, the, the, the graph that we've been set. So, you know, I think, and I think for me, I even had that uh, because when I was, I did a, a, a play in, in my final year of school and it went really well. It was like an amazing experience. I really thought this is something I wanted to explore more. Um, but, you know, I was, I was going to be doing law in college, but I, I would do the drama society and all that. But when I went to the drama society in college, that didn't really work out that well. I kind of <laughs> got to end up in getting it clashing with a couple of people there and it didn't really work out and I ended up dropping out of that. And it actually took me a couple of years after that of kind of wandering a bit in terms of my, in terms of creatively, you know, uh, before I came back to acting and came back to theatre. Um, and, and that was, I think, just the urge was so strong that, um, and it's funny that I think other people could see it in me, you know. <laughs> I used to have, um, I, the friends I was with um, that I, I made in, in when I was in uh, college studying law I remember walking back from campus, uh, from the, uh, the main campus towards where the law school was one day. And one of the guys, John, turned to me at one point. We were having a conversation. I was talking passionately about the arts. And he was kind of going, why are you in law? You, you should be studying arts. And I just kind of blew him off at the time, you know, going, eh, yeah, yeah, I have to talk about these things. 
But I think sometimes other people see it more than we do. Yeah. So <clears throat> I was just curious, do you guys have kids? We do not. Okay. Uh, well, the, the reason I was asking is because I always wonder you know, what kinds of advice creative people would give to parents, uh, especially when they have kids, because I think there's this sort of odd paradox of artists who basically will tell their kids never to become artists and then others <laughs> who want their kids to do nothing more. Like my friend Mars Dorian, he told me that his mother once said, you know, please, son, whatever you do, don't become some sort of corporate person. I hope you become an artist. I was like, no Aww. parent tells their kid that. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I guess, you know, having pursued both of these careers, and, and we'll kind of get into the trajectory of how you guys got here, what advice would you give to parents who are listening who see these sort of creative tendencies and creative impulses in their kids? Because I think for the most part, as a child, I was told that anything creative, I was a musician, uh, all these things were nice hobbies, but they were definitely not things that I would ever make a career out of. Yeah, I think I, for me, I would say, let them explore it. You know, let, you don't know where anything might lead. And it certainly can't hurt no matter what they do in life. It can't hurt to let them have a dream, let them play around and explore different avenues and find their voice. Like if they're meant to be a lawyer, they'll find that, you know, if they have to be an actor first, well, hey, you know. Um, but I think I think my advice would be to, Try not to let your fear um, inhibit uh, the possibilities um, that your that your child has. You know, like really allowing them to explore, which is so easy for me to say because I don't have yeah. any children. <laughs> yeah, I, I think like most life advice, everything is easier said than done. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I ha I have to give that to myself, you know, because I still have so many limiting beliefs that. Mm. Oftentimes when I look back at my career, if I haven't been satisfied or whatnot, you know, oftentimes it's myself, you know, I'm the one who, you know, some story I heard when I was younger or, you know, and that's the thing is it can be a little thing, right? It's just like this, it's just, sometimes it's just so, seems so fragile, right? That, that, that creativity spark because you can have one person that says something and kind of just cuts you off from oh, this is bad. Oh, this isn't right. Oh, I'm doing this wrong. And all of a sudden that door is shut. So, um, and you just don't know what's behind that door, you know, because it's so just trying to keep the doors open. I think, um, you know, think be spoiled for choice and, and, and keep exploring because as I said, like, creativity won't and you mentioned this even in the intro it can't it can't hurt no matter what you do in life it will only only enhance your life yeah speaking of which what has been the trajectory of both your careers that led to you doing this work and, and how in the world did you guys end up meeting <laughs> <laughs> we met in drama school <laughs> i came i came here so i i did um trajectory uh you know as i said i started uh, singing on the stage when i was five or six um and then you know did all the school plays that i could um all the way up through high school um and then in college i i studied theater and criminal justice um and that took me to a internship in the uk 
doing uh, prison theater, theater and prison and probation, the TIP Center in Manchester. And, um, and then I went back and finished my, finished my degree. And then I wanted to do something physical. So I taught ballroom dance for a year with Arthur Murray. Um, and then I was really missing theater. So I was applying to grad schools and, uh, there was a school in Ireland that I applied to and eventually that I got an offer there. So I came here and did a two year kind of conservatory type program. And that's where Paul and I met and, yeah. And then from there, it was whatever and however to, to earn a living and to, to keep creative. Um, I feel like my, my path has definitely been a little bit of a, of a seesaw between safety and, um, and trusting that, that the creative life can, um, can provide. <laughs> um, so, you know, we, I ended up, you know, I taught drama in high school for a year in the States at a private um, high school. And then in New York, I think I probably had a job in any, in any, in every kind of um, uh, field that you could think of, um, you know, whether part-time or full-time and always um, auditioning and creating our own work. That was something that right when we got out of drama school, when we didn't, get roles right away we were like we got to create something so we started um you know our theater company uh, about the the year after we graduated yeah yeah yeah. one year out yeah yeah one year out so Mm -hmm. yeah so the journey has been one of learning constantly um and growing and and retreating and opening up again and um you know i I have been trying to follow, like, follow the, the love. Like when we moved back here, I really wanted to trust, you know, being able to do more of what I love um, and really trust that that can, that can sustain us. So that's, there's been a practice of that too. So we'll get into all that. But so I, this is going to be weird, but I, Paul, I want to ask you the same question about how you guys met. Cause I feel like if you ask a couple how they met and they're <laughs> telling the story to two different people, they'll tell a different version of the story. So I want to hear your version of how you guys met. <laughs> it's, funny, it's funny. Actually, I was thinking, um, one thing you didn't really mention is that, uh, yeah. So in terms of like, I, I kind of had the, the opposite journey to Adam in ways that I didn't have really any access to, to performance or theater really or anything like that when I was growing up. I wasn't a drama class kid. It was only literally this one teacher in, in school who dragged me into this play I ended up doing, it and it was like, I fell in love with the theater there. Um, but basically yeah, after I came out of college and, and then um, uh, I ended up taking, taking a, a part-time acting class and that ended up being massive for me. I was doing the, working this, um, you know, this well-paying corporate job for like an oil company, but very quickly the four hours a week I was spending doing this acting class I liked an awful lot more than the 40 hours a week I was I was working uh, in this other job. And so by the end of it, it was going well enough that I felt like I could try for full-time drama school at the end of it. And I applied and got in, and which I was just so excited by and, and, and delighted <laughs> by and t- felt very naive going in the first day. But the very first day, um, there was this, um, compared to my naive, not knowing what anything was going on, there was this extremely confident um, American girl who was, <laughs> um, 
who was there. And we got paired together on the very first exercise that we ever had to do. Was the first exercise? I think it was in the afternoon. Maybe the afternoon. <laughs> it's, what I, it's how I remember. Um, but where you had to like, you had to tell the other person uh, about where you kind of, a little bit about your story. And then they would listen. And later on, they would repeat, they would kind of tell your story to the class. So instead of me telling my story to the class, Anna would tell mine to the class. I couldn't understand a word that he said. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, I don't know if you guys have seen it. There's a, a Robin Williams does this sketch uh, in his live on Broadway show uh, about Scottish people and how they invented golf. And he talks <laughs> about how you can't understand a word they're saying. And it's the funniest sketch I've ever seen. But yeah, I, I could see why you might say that. Anna. <laughs> Yeah, my accent Even though I know you're, I know you're Irish, Paul. I know you're not Scottish. Just so we're. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, but yeah, that's so and, that's, and so we met on the first day. But I think it's funny. Like we came from such different backgrounds, but during the course of our two years of drama school, we probably before we even we were going to be a couple, we were great friends and very we were very simpatico about you know about what theater could be and what acting could be and you know very, yeah very much more about like what it could what the results it could give for like the experience audiences could have. I think we were a little bit more about that than going, oh, I want to be a star and this or that. I think we've no. a lot of late night, Friday night, um, long sessions in the pub, you know, kind of just talking about art and theater and story and character. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's, yeah, kind of, kind of how it really started for us before we even kind of then became a couple kind of like later, later in, in, in drama school. Yeah. So, were you guys outside of the sort of first exercise, were you in roles together during this time? Yeah. So, I mean, for the most part, we weren't paired together, but we were during the, and just so you know, he was against all of my rules. Like I was not going to date an actor, definitely not an actor in my class. No, <laughs> and definitely not someone younger than me. So like all my rules was were broken. Yeah. Um, but we d- we did have to do we did a comedy scene, didn't we? Because like mm. I had, <laughs> I remember wearing a hugely padded bra or something because I was playing some sort of a you're playing like a French maid, a French maid, you know, very stereotypical. Because um, uh, it was it was a over the top kind of comedy, um, and so this like drama school being drama school, like the other people in the class just like they knew at this stage that we were a couple and they just found it hilarious <laughs> that we had to do, I had to do this like, Oh, hello, you know, kind of, <laughs> kind of role. Yeah. Well, I, the reason I asked that is because I, my, my roommate was a theater major in college and he was telling me that when he was in sort of a, a romantic role with somebody else, it was really, I, it was hard to sort of have this distinction between whatever you're feeling when you're on stage performing versus how you feel about each other in reality when you're not on stage performing. And it's easy to mix up the two because mm. you're putting so much emotion into these performances. And mm. so I wonder, one, uh, how did you guys know? Like, how did you guys know you were sort of meant for each other? Which I realize is, you know, like a question that millions of books have been written about. And as <laughs> my listeners like to joke, every question and every guest is a reflection of a problem I'm trying to solve in my life. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, to be honest, we were we were really good friends. And and where you where you um, I mean, you're absolutely right about like coming together. He and I like Paul and I definitely have a different story. You know, like he'll say that he made a move on me. I have, I do not recall that move at all. Never. (laughs) Memorable. Memorable. Yeah. Um, But I do remember we were, it was like the spring of our first year. um, And it was just, it was our break just, you know, like the last night going on on spring break. And 
you know, as you know, you're all, you're all on top of each other in drama school. Um, and there's no such thing as personal space. And I think I was sitting on his lap at one point in time. And there was just something where I was just like, oh, I really fancy him. Oh, my goodness. What am I going to do? <laughs> um, and me being me, I think I went home and like talked to a roommate or something and then was like, I'm going to call him. I'm going to tell him. And my roommate was like, no, don't do it. Um, and I did. And I scared the bejesus out of you. <laughs> oh, so, Paul, tell me that. Tell me your your reaction to this experience. Like and, and what was the move that, you know, Anna says you didn't make? I think I like it was looking back. It was really terrible. I think I was something about, oh, I don't know, like offering to rub our shoulders in the pub or something. It was just terrible. I look back at it with squeamishness. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, because I remember she. Of course, this is like it's going to go back in history a little bit here. But I think it was just before we had like cell phones. Really, I remember. I remember our like yeah. the last our kind of towards the last couple of um, months in drama school, everyone got cell phones because you're supposed to you had to have them. For like for agents to call you, yeah. But before, but I remember that this was would have been about a year before that, and mm. Anna called me on my you know my home phone, <laughs> and I remember um, <laughs> basically her called me up and said, "Yeah, do you want to go? I think I think we should. I think it was, it was very kind of. It wasn't it wasn't like happy go lucky. It was very direct. It was very much <laughs> like I think we need to go and have get get coffee and talk about this <laughs> and work this out. <laughs> um, I remember like my brother like coming into the room and being and being like. Who are you talking to? <laughs> um, and agreeing to go. And, and I remember it was it was like it wasn't really almost. It's hard to say what was our first date because then we we went on this date where we like we had coffee, but we almost like it wasn't like a romantic, cozy, candlelit coffee. It was like a discussion about <laughs> should we go out? Should we not go out? <laughs> and at the end, we it was a strategy session. <laughs> and at the end, we agreed we would give it a go and, and see how yeah. it worked out. That's um, hilarious. Yeah. So you had a strategy session to figure out whether you should date. Yeah. <laughs> now, now, in fairness, we had gone on super romantic dates before then as a non-couple. Like, <laughs> okay. we'd gone to see, like, super romantic movies and, like, dinner and coffee and tea, like, but it was just, we were just friends at that point in time. Um, wow. Yeah, as soon as we actually our date was a discussion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then, and then we, and then, and then you didn't, then you, then you, re- <laughs> Well, it's funny because when I think about theater, particularly like my friends who were in high school theater, I think to myself, I'm like, if I wanted to do a lot of drugs and get late, I probably should have joined the theater, not the band. Uh, <laughs> seems like they had a, a lot more interesting lives than, you know, band geeks did. So that I think makes a perfect segue to talking about this whole idea of theater, particularly in the face of, of sort of where we're at today. Um, mm-hmm. So one, one thing I, I, I want to understand is uh, looking at, how you actually work at your craft, like what goes into the creative process of putting together a production? How do you get good at what you do as as an actor, like beyond sort of what we see? Because I think that for people like us, we see the final performance, right? You see the movie, you don't see the hundreds of hours on set. Um, you don't see the thousands of takes. Uh, we don't see the rehearsals where people forget their lines. So <laughs> what actually goes into this? Wow, that's a great question. I, I could answer it in so many different ways. I think that my my first instinct is play. Um, at least for us, that's what I think. As if if we look at our theater company, what we've discovered, and for us in rehearsals and everything like that, we want to create a 
as safe a place as possible that the artists can come because everyone has their own approach and their own um, way of doing things so that it's kind of, we just create a little, a place where all these different ingredients can come and mix and, and play and, um, and you need a director who can allow everyone to come, but also knows when to uh, make decisions. Um, and yeah, cause I do think that each actor has their own, their own approach, their own way. And so it's, we think it's really important to respect all of those different um, approaches. Um, and I, you know, I think the journey of an actor is often you are, you're finding your voice, you're finding the way that you work. Like, I don't, I don't know if one ever arrives there. Mm. Um, you know, yeah. I mean, you keep, I keep, you keep learning and I think the way it is doing it, doing it. Yeah, but for okay. picking plays, we gotta love it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I think it's funny because I think that I think at one point as an actor in, especially in my late twenties, and thought I was doing a lot of studying of acting, of studying with the, you know, the great teachers and taking classes. When we moved to New York for a while, I, you know, I was really trying to learn. I, th- I thought I could work it out. I thought I could work out the system for how to like <laughs> work on a script, to how to like do the preparation. I, you know, taking elements from all sorts of different places, from Stanislavski, from David Mamet, from different books I read. And I, I thought, I thought at one point I could work it out, you know, logically work out how to do it. Until I realized after a while that it wasn't, that there was, that it's all you can do is you build a toolbox of different ways of approaching the work in terms of learning about how you, learning about your movement, learning about your voice, learning about interpreting a script, learning about being with an audience and the ebb and flow of all that. And, and that it's, you just build up, start putting tools into a box that then you can use. Because uh, you look at someone like um, like Al Pacino talks about this, is that he, when he starts a project, every new project, he starts as if he knows nothing. Because mm. yeah. anytime you try and bring the exact same methodology to, to as you brought to the last one, it, you're dead. It just doesn't work. And I think that's both the exciting and the really frustrating thing about being an actor <laughs> is every time you work on a new project, you kind of have to just approach it, uh, approach it afresh. You do come with more tools to mm. work with. You do come from ex- experience. You come with skills. But at the end of the day, it, you do come. You have to come at it from a fresh perspective. And that I think comes back to what Anna's saying is that you need to have a playful environment to work in, so that mm-hmm. you can take chances and try things and give things a go. And if they fall flat on their face, like you say in rehearsals, where where no one else sees them, where it's only the creative people working on it then it's fine. It's fine for that to fail and not to go right because it's a playful environment where then you find the the gold and what does work on this particular project. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Since 2013, Bombus has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and t-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hmm. Yeah, hence the reason all the, the high school kids who are having sex and doing drugs are in theater. Yeah. <laughs> that's always been I think a, a good a good adv- an advertisement sure. yeah so you know encourage your kids to join the theater if you want them to get laid in high school basically is the lesson <laughs> yeah we might get that put on, on, on t-shirts maybe <laughs> so what drew you in particular to theater as opposed to to movies and just you know, so, because I, I think that there's something very different about sort of seeing live theater and live performance than there is uh about watching something take place on a screen yeah. Well, now I love I love acting for screen too. Um, th- that is something as an actor I quite enjoy. Um, but theater is like my home base. Um, it's like a, um, kind of I guess like the my my own my own church, my own spiritual uh, spiritual home um, because it's yeah because it's so live. It's so it's so so present. Um, I love the audience. I love feeling that, that energy, that wholeness, that all, all of us are together. Um, you, you, I feel like as a performer, you have a responsibility, you know, as an actor to, to the audience. Um, but I just love holding that energy for them, holding that space for them and for the story that we're giving, um, the story we're sharing. I love working with actors, um, you know, and the, like, you love and hate the whole like process of like, oh, okay, it's week three of rehearsals. Everyone's going to get sick and everyone's going to be annoyed. Nothing's going to feel right. It's all going to be awkward and not look right, you know? Um, and, you know, like, oh my gosh, this is never going to work. And then just like praying some for some miracle that it'll all come together. But it all, you know, it's like, but it happens every time and it happens, you know? Um, yeah. So why I 
think theater is it for me is, yeah, it's just, it's the whole, every part of my being, you know, is, is necessary. Um, including my, my spiritual being that is the oneness, you know, that, that connects everyone. Like, I think it's just whole, whole, whole body. (laughs) Yeah. So, no, sorry, go ahead, Paul. No, I was going to say, I think just adding to what Anna was saying, I think partly for, for an actor. And I think this is, I see this with with a lot of our our colleagues and things is one of the things that as a, as from the artist's point of view is as an actor in the theater, it kind of becomes your responsibility. Mm. It becomes your choices. It's your job on the night to make it work for an audience. Uh, it's like, it's so, it's so much, I love working in, as I says, on working in TV and film and things like that. Um, and there you're giving, you just, you give, you give the director as many, you give them as, as realistic as possible and you give them as many options as possible. So they, when he and the editor get together and they cut it up, they can make their decisions about what's going to, how the story is going to be told best. But at the end of the day, I'm not in that room. I don't get to tell them. Maybe, maybe Tom Cruise does, but <laughs> I don't get to tell them which take they should use or what they should do. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm an important cog in a big machine of like really cool people, of camera people and all this kind of stuff. But in the theater, in the end of the day, there's a play and there's a stage and there's actors and, you know, we're supported, but, you know, with, with the design, the lights and everything. But at the end of the day, each night at eight o'clock or whatever <laughs> it is, as an actor, you have to get up on that stage, deliver that performance, deliver that line to that audience on that night, and it's your responsibility. And if it doesn't work, it's basically my fault. You know what I mean? It might be our fault as a unit, but mm. it's it's also but it's also then um, it's my sort of sense of fulfillment when when you get a, an audience that are so delighted by it, they're having a great time, and that they're buzzing afterwards in 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 the lobby and stuff. That. I guess it's that feeling as an artist. It's that you get that fulfillment because, yeah, it's on your shoulders. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> so I, I think that this makes a perfect segue to talking about people who themselves are not actors like myself. What are the, the sort of benefits of, of, you know, taking an acting class, taking an improv class? How do we apply that to the, those concepts to our creative work? You know, whether it's, you know, as a writer, me as a podcaster, as I told you, my first motivation to join an improv class was I thought it would be a great place to meet girls. But then I realized, wait a minute, I could actually go there and potentially improve myself as an interviewer as well, which is, you know, just, uh, you know, it's, it's what the, you know, I, I think the economists call that a positive externality. Um, <laughs> but you know, when we're looking at how we apply this to our lives, you know, whether it's in conversation with, you know, a friend, family member, whatever it is, uh, how do we do that? Like, what can we learn from this that impacts other areas of our lives? Um, well, I think the thing is, you know, for someone like taking some sort of theater related class or it's an acting class or an improv class or something like that, I think what you're doing is you're putting yourself in an environment where you get to play and get to try things. You get to, you get to look silly, you know, <laughs> and get used to that idea and realize it's not the worst thing in the world and actually you bounce back and things. You get used to being in front of, of an audience, you know, whether that's, like in class being doing it. It's funny doing a scene, even in front of like eight or 10 people or getting up and improvising for eight or 10 people. There's still a frisson of, of, uh, of intensity to that moment. There's quite, it's still, there's still a bit of nerves and something to that. Um, so what you're doing is you're kind of, you're building your capacity to be in these, to be in awkward situations, you know, because you've kind of, tr- you know, it's just to try them in a safe place. You know, it's like rehearsals. You get to practice things and try them out on your feet, try out these situations. Um, so you get used to, you get, you sort of break through things like embarrassment. You get used to like 
what it's like to be in front of an audience and, and that kind of thing. You use the idea of, of, of telling a story. And I think what that does is it on, just on, on a, like, even before you get into any the specifics of, of like, say, you know, business training or something like that, you're just talking about an improv class or some sort of acting class. You're basically what you're doing is it's going to build your confidence and your sense of creativity going into those situations back in your real life. Cause you get to try it in, in, you know, in not real life, you get to try, <laughs> get to try much more dramatic or funny or silly situations than you would have in real life. So it's funny that when you go back to real life to deal with them, you've kind of, they're not so, they're not such a big deal, mm. you know? And I think that's one of the things about, yeah, practicing acting and improv can give you. And I'd say too, and I know you've, you've said this before on the podcast, Sweeney, that, um, that I, I do think for creatives, trying out a different avenue of creativity always will enhance mm. your work. You know, just like sometimes I am not like an artiste by any means, but like I'll play with um, decoupage or with, um, you know, watercolor because, you know, doing, being in the creative space is, you know, it's a, it's a, it's the same space kind of to a certain extent, right? You're just accessing it from a different, um, from a different door or whatever. And so I think for, for creatives, especially if you're, you know, not necessarily a creative that is a social creative. Mm. Um, it can really give you an opportunity to kind of sneak in through a different door and access creativity in a different way and, um, and play. And that to me just can only enhance your own work. You always learn, yeah. right? Like you always learn more about your creativity um, and can approach your own work then in a different way when you expose yourself to to another way of working oh yeah i mean i i took ken burns documentary filmmaking class and you know it was one of the first times i'd done a project just for fun that had absolutely nothing to do with my work Fantastic. and now i'm actually doing a full-blown you know project on masterclass where i'm taking one masterclass every month and basically i'm going to do a project on that masterclass so i'm doing any Leibowitz's uh, portrait class right now and driving oh, my really? roommates crazy by shooting pictures of them every moment uh, <laughs> So I, I, I want to move this towards an example that has nothing to do with creativity and that might be somewhat ridiculous, <laughs> but I thought it would actually be a good question to ask. So let's say I want to take these concepts to something that I deal with on a regular basis and probably some people do an argument with my mother or a conversation with my mother in which I run the risk of pissing her off, which is pretty much every conversation I have. With <laughs> um, so let's say I wanted to take these concepts uh, and you know, leverage this idea of play in conversation when it's a conversation where there's potentially conflict or argument. Yeah. Well, one of the huge proponents in, um, in, you know, in acting in theater and improv is listening. And I think that oftentimes in arguments, we stop listening. Um, we can only hear our point of view. So I think that that's a huge, <laughs> a huge tool, you know, is actually to get to practice listening. And then um, and so then in an argument, you can stop yourself and really try to listen and really hear what's what's going on beneath, yeah. you know, because there's usually there's usually more to it. Like we're arguing on the surface. Right. But there's usually things that are unsaid beneath, which we call subtext. <laughs> yeah. Well, so talk to me about this whole idea of yes and. I mean, I know that this is one of the sort of common phrases that comes from the world of improv and it's kind of building on things. So 
I, I think a good example is creative collaboration. So let's say that, you know, a partner and I are working on building something or working on something like an online course, which is something we're building on right now. And in a meeting, we're, you know, adding. And so <clears throat> there's a sort of distinction, I think, that I've come across in anything I've read about improv where they make this, you know, distinction between yes and and but. Can you guys talk about that? Yeah. Yeah. I think I think the, the key thing about yes and is just that it's in kind of an improv type situation, you don't want people have a tendency to want to like take control and block and, and kind of and try and they want to try and guide it a certain way. They start to see into the future of how they think it's going to go and they start to wrench it and try and drag it in that direction. Mm. So, you know, uh, and you have an improv scene where I, I, I'm saying, you know, I'm walking in and I'm saying, oh, I've, I've got my cat with me. And they go, no, you don't. That's your dog, <laughs> you know, which might sound funny in, you know, in the moment. But straight away, it's what it's doing is creating a situation where you're kind of blocking possibilities. And the scene doesn't have anywhere to go then. Whereas the yes and thing is there's, you're always building on top of things. Mm. You know what I mean? And um, yeah. so it's, I think it's about the additional possibilities. Mm. And I think that, that it's, that's, it's building richness um, because I think you can, I mean, you talked about it's really talking about the yes, but I think that's, you, what you do is you take that and you totally turn it a slightly different way. You don't just like yeah. sort of push back against the whole idea. You don't just like kind of take to the person's idea. They're, they're a little, if it was a bit of paper, you don't just crumple it up in a ball and fling it away and start mm-hmm. again. Um, it's taking it and just going, okay, we're, we're going to run with them, carry the momentum you're going. We're just going to carry it in this slightly different direction, but I'm not going to um, stop your car moving. I'm going to, we're just going to point it, you know, a little bit in another direction. And yeah. it's so that it's, it's this idea of like, you don't want to get shot down with the ideas that you're bringing into a creative space because it's often the one that the, feels the silliest and the most, oh, that's, a, that's, a, that's foolish. That is not going to work. But sometimes if you give it a little chance to breathe, it's actually the one that goes, oh, wait a second. I hadn't really thought it could be that. Like in a scene, if we're working on something, someone is asking the actor to do the exact opposite of what it looks like they're doing. You know, we were just in a class last night where and we asked an, an actor had a moment in the scene where he discovers his wife is pregnant and he says to her, oh, that's, uh, you are, my God, I have to go out and, and, and tell everyone. And we just for, to try something, we asked him to just do it like he was not happy about that circumstance. <laughs> and it suddenly changed the whole meaning of that moment. But actually, it wasn't totally wrong. There was something in that. And I think sometimes we, we block little threads of possibilities for what we think is the obvious answer yeah. and the safest and the most comfortable or mm. the right answer the right which answer, you yeah. know can kill anything <laughs> trying yeah. to be right you know and i mean the, the yes and yeah it's such a when it's really done mm. um in the spirit of it of of yes and it is such a joy because what is more you know part of being creative, right, is that you want someone to say, yeah, that's a good idea. (laughs) Well done, you know, like, well done. And, um, and so it, it, it almost like continues to keep inspiring itself and inspiring. um, And then you, you're collaborating, right? Because then you're like, oh, I'm going to tick, I'm going to tickle them with this. I have you, here's your idea. And I'm going to tickle you with this thing. And and, and so it becomes less about yourself and about being right and about looking good. And it's about um, kind of like pleasing each other and, and, and play. Yeah. But it's kind of like, it's not so much that you're, you've pre-decided your idea, but you hear their idea and you decide to run with that. Yeah. 
that's that's probably well, I, I think it's interesting that you described, you know, use the phrase threat of possibility, because it almost brings us full circle to what we were talking about at the beginning, when people are thinking about what to do with their life. And how, mm-hmm. in my mind, the connection I made, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that this could be a strategy that we could approach use to to basically make choices in our life as well. So you're in this sort of phase of discovery, when you're in college, or trying to figure out what you want to do. So I guess the question then is, is, you know, if we were to look at this not that you want to improvise every life plan that you have, but, um, you know, to keep yourself open to threads of possibility when you're planning life, how could you use this for that? Oh, yeah. I mean, definitely. Because I, I think, I do think that that's a, a, sorry, I'm just processing it in my head. But I think that if I had, goodness gracious, <laughs> You know, even if you think too about, you were talking about, we were talking about parents at the beginning too. If you think if your parents, you know, if you came to your parent with like, oh, you know, I think I'm going to, like if I, when I, when I told my mom I was going to be an actor, if she had responded, ah, yes. And, you know, and what are you going to, you know, and what are you going to do? Um, or not, what are you going to do? That's like blocking it. But like, and yes. And, and here's, you know, my support and you know, here's a costume and go, go, go lead to the corner. Um, but I think that, uh, yeah, the, 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 yes, whenever you feel yourself blocking yourself, if you can, if you can find the yes end, if you can find a way to ask yourself how, you know, where's the wonder, where's the possibility in here? Um, where's the joy, you know, where's the, yeah, the thread of possibility. <laughs> Yeah, I think, and yeah. as long as it's, I think back in my own life, I think back, it's, I think it's the moments I think when I felt that strange combination of both excitement and also a bit of fear. That moment where you kind of go, oh, oh, something pops up, you go, I might like to try that. Oh, it sounds a bit scary. So I kind of have to, you know, um, put my courage in, in place and kind of put a bit of fire in my chest and go, okay, I'm going to go do it and, and probably walk into that room, wherever it is. There's probably some part of me that's, that's sweating and is, is not sure this is going to work out. And maybe has a couple of times that I want to turn back, but those are the ones that when I come through those, that usually are the things that turn out the best. And they often come out of left field. You know, sometimes mm. it's just something you're just past. There's a moment just comes to you. Someone throws something at you or you see a poster for something or just this whim, like you're talking about Serena, just talking about, Oh, an improv class. It's something that kind of pops into your head. Mm. Sometimes, and you're there rather than just like, letting that just pass you by, if it gives you that little frizz on of like, ooh, mm. ooh, that might be uncomfortable for me. That might, but it might be really fun. I think that, that being yeah. in that place, those are the threads that are, that are worth running after. Yeah. Yeah. You know? it's, like, yeah. it's like those moments of inspiration or, or something, you know, something that's where you want to say, yes, I see you. I see you. And I'm going to follow through, you know? Yes. I see you. And I am going to take that class. Because even if it doesn't end up, you know, changing your life or whatever, it actually builds up your, your, your confidence in your own creativity and in your own voice, right? Because you're saying, yes, I see that spark. I see your, what's inspiring you. And we're going to follow that mm-hmm. and see where yeah. it takes us. Well, <clears throat> speaking of, of where it takes you during this entire time, I can't imagine it's all been smooth sailing because I don't know any artist whose career has been nothing but smooth sailing. Uh, have there been moments where you've had these sort of sort of all of the lost moments where you wondered, you know, whether you should quit. How did you get past <laughs> yes. <them? laughs> Most definitely. I have definitely been in curled up in a, 
ball bawling, saying, why, why am I doing um, Definitely. Yeah, no, I think there's absolutely. Um, I think um, particularly in, in being an actor and stuff, like being an actor in when we, we lived in New York for a number of years, like chasing the kind of acting dream and wanted to learn more about it. And you're working other jobs. And I can remember a time when uh, I'd been working this job and for a couple of years, kind of part-time to kind of, while I was doing my classes, getting my photographs taken, all that stuff. And there was a chance to take a kind of a redundancy package because it was, it was around 2008. So they were, they were trying to, um, they were going to shrink down the business. And so I was like, Oh my God, I can get like, I think it was four or five, six months pay. And I can just, I can just be an actor full time in New York city. (laughs) This is exactly what I need. And so I took it and, 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 and went out with like a big plan and, you know, got new photos and approached all the casting directors and went to every audition and, you know, and I got a few things. But I suddenly came to the end of that, I think maybe five or six month period. And I remember there was a, a moment when uh, just the money, that money was starting to run out and I needed to start thinking about earning again. And it wasn't really that easy to get another job, um, especially like the kind of um, comfortable one that I had. And I can remember one day when um, Anne at the time was working in, in a gym um, as, as, as a manager there. And I needed to take a day's work as a, a cleaner in the gym. And there was nothing wrong with that work, but I remember coming home that, that, that night and just being in the bathroom of our apartment and sliding down the wall in tears, not because I felt I was above that work, but because I'd suddenly felt like I had all these opportunities and this is how I ended up. And I'd taken my shot that I thought I had of being an actor and it hadn't worked out. And, you know, it, it felt like a really dark place. But then I ended up kind of coming out of that and, and, and seeing where the next job I ended up getting. And it's funny that I think pretty much the next job I got a couple of months later after doing a few different bits and pieces was actually working for a theater company in New York. Hmm. And it was funny, it was only by being, by taking that big leap, I would say probably not quite failing, but probably not getting as much out of it as I needed to, that then I ended up, ended up leading me to another, to another course where I ended up then like working, um, for this theater company in New York and learning a huge amount about producing as well as being an actor. Uh, and that's something that's been a, a huge experience for me going forward. But definitely I'm telling you yeah. that day, that night in, in the, that evening in, in the bathroom, I just like, yeah, I felt like hell that night. Mm. Wow. Wow. Um, well, this has been amazing as I thought it would be. I mean, you guys have been phenomenal. So um, I want to finish with my final question, which I know you've heard me ask, what do you think it is? that makes somebody or something unmistakable? I think, um, and I knew you were going to ask, I was like, I'm going to have to prepare. I have to have something. Um, but, uh, which I, which is know, ironic considering what we've been talking about. I know, I know, I know, but you'll ha- exactly, but you'll be happy that I don't have anything prepared, um, in the end, even though I thought I should. Um, but I, to me, it's, it's your voice. You know, it's, I think if we are, if we honor our voice and we honor that journey and we, we, we pull at those threads and the the possibility and find them, um, that's what makes you unmistakable. That's where you, that's what's distinct. And that's where you really, um, find you and your voice and your, what you have to offer. Yeah. I think it would be fairly similar to that. I think it is about responding to your own instincts and i think i like there's a lesson i keep learning all the time about 
my own acting performances and things because sometimes I get, I start to think about the way I should do things and the way other people do things. But always the things that work out the best are where it comes from my own creative instincts, my responses to the circumstances. And I think that, I think, isn't what I see in other people. It's what's most unmistakable about it is when it's like, I go, oh, that's their choice. Yeah. That's their instinct. That's the only they could do it that way. Yeah. And that's when they're following their own creative instinct, even when maybe in many ways it's not the logical, it's not the way it should be done, but it's the way they felt they had to do it. Mm, Amazing. Well, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to join us and share your story and your wisdom and your insights with our listeners. Where can people find out more about you guys, your work and everything that you're up to? Yeah, they can go to our, our website. It's um, aboutfacetheater.ie. That's theater spelled with an R-E on the end. <laughs> um, that's, yeah, aboutfacetheater.ie. That's the Irish um, uh, website. Um, yeah. Yep, and uh, we're also on Twitter and on Instagram and Facebook. So, um, yep. So you can find us on all of those places. <laughs> um, awesome. yeah, so we'd be glad to hear from people. Awesome. And for everybody listening, we will wrap the show with that. Thank you for listening to this episode of the unmistakable creative podcast. While you were listening, were there any moments you found fascinating, inspiring, instructive, maybe even heartwarming? Can you think of anyone, a friend or a family member who would appreciate this moment? If so, take a second and share today's episode with that one person because good ideas and messages are meant to be shared. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1, only from Rust-Oleum. Hold up, what was that? Boring, no flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50% to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch, the skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.